0: Millions of Texans lost power last week. And our colleague, energy reporter Russell Gold, who's based in Austin, has been looking into that. I was
1: really stunned by how close the entire Texas power grid came from collapsing. And I'm still stunned and still, frankly, a lot of us are still trying to understand how could that happen?
0: The failure of the power grid started because of cold weather, but the crisis quickly escalated from there.
1: And I was also really shocked by the cascading crisis we experienced. First, they're rolling blackouts, then they're blackouts that just stuck around. Then we're starting to get notices that our natural gas supplies are running low, please conserve that. Then all of a sudden water starts going out. It really reminds you how when one thing fails, other things can fail also.
0: But Russell says one big reason the Texas blackouts became a more serious crisis is because of how the state operates its power grid. A power grid that was held up as a model for the country until last week. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Linebaugh. It's Monday, February 22nd. Coming up on the show, why the strength of Texas's power grid... Became its greatest weakness.
2: This episode is brought to you by GlobalX ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started.
0: Many states around the country used to have powerful monopolies running their electricity grids.
1: Pretty much since... Thomas Edison was building up his power system. We've had vertically integrated monopolies. We've had one company that provided the generation, the wires, build you for your electricity use. Everything was under one roof.
0: In the last few decades, many states have moved away from that model.
1: And what happened in several different parts of the country, but definitely in Texas, was there was this movement to deregulate. Let's break up the old monopolies. We'd have new companies come in and, you know, they'd go out and compete to sign you up and provide the best customer service. And we'd let the market really go out and compete against each other to provide good, low-cost electrical service. And Texas was considered one of the leaders of the deregulation movement.
0: Texas now has an energy marketplace. Private companies can produce electricity and compete with each other for customers. And all that competition has had some advantages. For instance, it's made companies innovate. Really, the advantage
1: of deregulation was that it unleashed the creativity of the market all these companies competing to come up with the new best ideas and building, you know, brand new, super efficient combined cycle gas turbines. You know, at the same time, you you had the renewable energy revolution going on out in West Texas, everyone building wind farms. I mean, all of that was done in this new deregulated market. And frankly, I don't think it would have happened very quickly at all if you had had the old monopolies because the monopoly power companies, frankly, are known for moving slowly.
0: One big outcome of deregulation? was that competition between power companies drove down electricity prices. Texas set up a competitive marketplace.
1: Effectively, every day, every hour of the day, we had an auction
0: going on. And often, that price was really low. But along with low prices for consumers, there was a promise for the power companies, too. Big windfalls at times of extreme weather.
1: What Texas did is it said, look, we're going to have a really high cap. When it got really cold or really hot and we needed to incentivize a lot of power production, those prices could go up to $9,000 per megawatt hour. People could make enormous amounts of money. It incentivized people to build power plants and to operate them because for that week of the year in July, when it is 105 degrees across the state and we need every single power plant running, you could make a year's profit. That was, you know, what I would have said a week ago was the genius of the Texas system.
0: the Texas government put an organization in charge of overseeing these constant energy auctions. It's called ERCOT.
1: ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which is the nonprofit, they are sort of the air traffic controllers. And what they did was they said, all right, everyone who wants to bid in this auction to provide power, let's say tomorrow at noon, tell us how much power you can provide at what price. Companies bid in and said, okay, I can provide this much power from my gas plant, this much from my nuclear plant at this price. ERCOT would line all this up and they would start with the least expensive power and they'd keep adding, adding, adding until they got as much power as they needed
0: And for the most part, this new power market in Texas worked. But looking back, there were some
1: hiccups.
2: It dipped to a record low of just one degree in El Paso yesterday. Power outages forced Texas to get electricity from Mexico.
1: But Mexico- in 2011, there was a gas supply issue. It was a particularly cold snap, and there was not enough natural gas to go around. Now, more than 40% of the electricity on the Texas grid is generated by natural gas. So if you don't have enough natural gas, you're going to have a problem. And then in 2014, we had another problem where during the winter, we had some blackouts because some plants couldn't handle a very cold snap.
0: Authorities there warned that in parts of Texas, there could be now
1: rotating blackouts, at least one 1,000 utility customers in Texas are waking up this morning without power. After that, especially after 2011, the state legislature got together and said, we need to take a closer look at winterization. Are plants able to run in really cold weather?
0: After these blackouts, ERCOT investigated. It found that some of the state's power plants weren't prepared for extreme cold, and it suggested they make upgrades. But ERCOT's suggestions had no teeth. It can't force the power companies to do anything.
1: It is the market-setting mechanism. What it doesn't have is that it's not a regulator. It cannot tell anyone what to do. They could go in and sort of say, all right, we've seen your plans. We think you're ready for the winter. Or they could say, you know what, we don't think you're ready. But they couldn't tell the plant what to do. They couldn't say, well, you need to go out and spend $100,000 more to insulate your pipes.
0: Since the power companies didn't have to make these upgrades, they didn't. They never winterized. Instead, they were mostly focused on a more common Texas weather scenario, extreme heat.
1: The real problem or what we all worried about was the summer when it was really hot. I mean, this is Texas, you worry about the summer. And so you don't want to wrap your pipes because you want to make sure your equipment doesn't overheat during the summer. So you keep your pipes unwrapped so that the heat comes off of it. And so, you know, there really was no cop on the beat looking at winterization saying, hmm, do we really have what we need, despite the fact that we had these warning signs in 2011 and 2014.
0: But based on the theory of deregulation, power companies could make a lot of profit in a week of extreme weather. So why didn't they make these investments?
1: What it comes down to is that power companies they did not feel the need to do that so if you're a company and you know you're running a gas plant your margins are pretty thin most of the time And if you have to add money into your capital budget to weatherize, that's gonna cost you extra money. But if you don't feel that you're going to need it, except for maybe two or three days out of every 10 years, it was just an added expense that was hard to justify. And so they didn't justify it and they didn't put it in.
0: For two decades, the Texas power grid has been the poster child for deregulation. But last week, all systems failed. That's
2: after the break. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principle. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply.
0: When the extreme cold weather in Texas hit a week ago Sunday, people all over the state cranked up the heat, including Russell.
1: On Sunday, it's very cold. We set a new wintertime record for power demand in Texas. Tonight, a record cold snap has turned Texas into a tundra. Parts of Texas are literally at a standstill because of record-breaking low temperatures. And at the same time, things are starting to go poorly. Sometime overnight, we're not exactly sure... The exact sequence of events, but right about one o'clock or 1.30 in the morning, what ERCOT said is that there was a succession of plants that tripped off, probably because of very cold weather.
2: There are a number of generation plants that have been taken offline, like your wind turbines that are frozen over.
1: And so all of a sudden you have plants that you thought were gonna be there that aren't producing. Power production has stopped or slowed at many natural gas, coal, solar, and wind energy production sites. By five in the morning, one of the nuclear units, one of the four nuclear units that operate in the two power plants here trips offline also because it needs steam to operate and its intake valves that pull in water to create steam were frozen. So it couldn't operate anymore. The Texas grid goes into an emergency stance. And what it basically says is, look, the power grid is no longer stable. All the machinery on the grid is supposed to operate right at about 60 hertz, and it was fluctuating pretty dramatically. And if it continued to fluctuate, some of the equipment was gonna break, and you could have had a blackout that lasted for weeks or months.
0: ERCOT was worried about parts of the energy grid being overworked and breaking. So to prevent further damage, ERCOT turned off sections of the grid.
1: So they sent out orders across the state to all of the regional wires companies to begin what they called shedding load. And what that basically means is blacking out certain areas.
0: These blackouts weren't supposed to last very long.
1: Everybody woke up to this
0: on Monday morning
1: with state officials saying that your power would be off for maybe 30 to 45 minutes at a
0: time. But that has simply not happened because... The extended blackouts had knock-on effects. In addition to shutting off power to homes, ERCOT also cut power to the wells that pump crude oil and natural gas out of the ground. And that led to an oil and gas shortage.
1: So now all of a sudden you don't have natural gas, so additional power plants had to shut down. And once a power plant shuts down in this weather, you're not going to be able to restart it once the gas comes back. I mean, I've heard stories of the motor oil, the lubricants that are needed to keep the you know the wheels moving inside some of these turbines, being so cold that they lost viscosity. And so plants had to shut down because of that. It wasn't one thing. It was about a dozen different things that were simultaneously going wrong that were causing this massive loss of power generation.
0: Now, this past summer, California had blackouts, and it bought electricity from other states. Could Texas have done that?
1: No, Texas could not do that. Texas is its own grid. There are three major grids that serve the United States, really North America. There's the Eastern Interconnect, the Western Interconnect, and then there's Texas and ERCOT. And they're very small inner ties between them, but they can only move 500 megawatts, maybe one gigawatt. At the peak, Texas had lost 46 gigawatts of needed power. There was no way to turn to its neighbor and say, hey, you know, help me out. Send me some gigawatts here. The infrastructure just doesn't exist.
0: Over the weekend, power was gradually restored across Texas. And the cost of the crisis is coming into view. Nearly 60 people died from the cold, and the toll is likely to rise. Meanwhile, other people may be facing electricity bills in the thousands of dollars. Is what happened last week in Texas a failure of market forces?
1: Well, I think we're going to spend the next few months arguing about whether this was a market design problem, whether it was an equipment problem. Was this a black swan? No one could have predicted this kind of really freezing weather. One of the things that's become very, very clear was that Texas was always held up as one of the examples of how to organize your electricity market. We're really running out of good models to keep the power grid operating. And that's a huge problem because we're also turning to electricity to do more and more. We're now running electric cars in larger numbers. and We need to fill those up and the electrify everything movement, you know, to lower our carbon output. Let's stop burning fossil fuels and and use more electricity, electricity generated by renewables. Well, that's all well and good. But what's the model? What's the model that can effectively and affordably and reliably provide power? I'm not sure we, we know right now. And clearly there was a market design problem in Texas. It had every incentive in the world for companies to show up and provide power. You know, my God, you want to get that $9,000 per megawatt hour payment. But it wasn't enough to incentivize them to add that extra weatherization to make sure they were able to run when it was, you know, 5 to 10 degrees out.
0: Do you think anything will change in Texas?
1: I do think something's going to change. And I think the change has already begun. It is impossible to look at our power grid and have the same pride that I think most Texans had in it a week ago. I interviewed several Texas politicians this week, and, and one of the things they told me was, look, Texas prides itself in being open to business, to being, you know, inviting and growing, and we grew through the COVID. Well, you can't be open to business. You can't attract companies to come to you if there is a chance that your employees are going to have to go through what we all went through in the last week. So I think even Texas understands that some modicum of regulations is going to be necessary going forward having this system to sort of unleash the capitalist spirits works great until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, things can really fall apart.
0: That's all for today, Monday, February 22nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.